0: take a seat and we'll open up and kind of get this started you know as Roy did a fantastic job in kind of going through the treasures of grace in chapters or verses chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 we hear Paul's prayer for the church verse 15 through 23 that they would understand grace that they would know what are the riches and the truth in the grace of Christ. In chapter 2, we start going into what it means to the Christians to experience walking through the actuality of grace in their lives. So to recap, let's just take a quick look and walk through chapter 1. In this first section, we have described to us the exceeding riches of God's grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 3 begins with an overarching truth that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been given everything by and through the purchased price of Christ's blood at the cross. Verse 4, we start to see some of these treasures as we have been chosen. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Verse 5, we've been predestined to adoption as sons. Verse 6, we've been accepted in the beloved, we've been accepted in Christ. Verse 7, we are redeemed, which means the Lord has paid the price to buy us back from sin and from death. The price has been paid. We've been redeemed. We've also been forgiven. The sins of our inherited nature and of our own volition have been blotted out as a gift of God In the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. His riches abound toward us in wisdom and prudence. Verse 9 and 10. We have his, his will revealed to us for his purpose, for his pleasure, at his timing... That all things would be gathered in Christ for his glory. Verse 11, we've been predestined to an inheritance in him according to his sovereign will. Skipping down to verse 13, in trusting and believing after hearing the gospel of truth, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And verse 14, by the Spirit of we're guaranteed that inheritance. And all of these amazing, awesome, wonderful riches poured upon us for one reason and one reason only, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You know, the treasures in chapter 1 is how Paul begins to open up this letter to this church at Ephesus, the treasures of grace. He pleads with his readers to see the majestic, incomparable riches available to those who would trust and believe this gospel of grace won by Jesus at the cross. In verse 15, Paul begins to pray for this body of believers that their eyes would be opened to see, that their minds would be enlightened to understand the depth and the magnitude of this doctrine of grace. Paul says that he never ceases to pray that the believer's eyes would be enlightened and that the believers would come to understand and come to know three main things. That they would know what is the hope of his calling that they might know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now Rory went through this a little bit, this prayer on Wednesday night as we got an opportunity to kind of dig deeper into this doctrine of grace, this free, unmerited, undeserved favor poured out upon us who have no way or right to have that shared with us and poured over us. So as we look at these three things that Paul continues to pray for this church, we look at what is the hope of his calling. I'm just going to lightly touch on this, but the hope of his calling the hope that we're carried by and through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit within us that we're carried through his calling, his enabling, his equipping on that path of righteousness that's been laid before us to walk through those works prepared beforehand that we may hear when this race is done like it says in Matthew chapter 25 well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And to the joy of your Lord. We have hope. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We had an opportunity to recap all the treasures of these riches in the first section of chapter one. And then he goes to say, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's where we get into chapter 2. In the closing of this prayer, in finishing off chapter 1, just giving us a, a little bit of a background as to where we are and what Paul's trying to teach here. Paul turns in the second half of this prayer to pray that the church would know he who is the giver of grace. In this beautiful prayer of Paul for the believers, he gives Jesus Christ all glory and all honor and all power as he intercedes. In chapter 3, I'm going to flip over here just because the prayer is beautiful. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Paul turns as we enter into chapter 2. He turns from describing the riches and blessings of grace to pointedly defining what grace means in the lived out experience of the Christian. So we have the treasures described. We have the prayer that's gone forth that they would have their eyes open to see this wonderful present of this gift of grace. And now Paul starts to describe what it means in the experiential walking it out of grace and you guys chapter 2 verse 1 I believe is Paul's description of probably the most glorious most majestic miracle in all the kingdom of God and that's the transformation of the hearts and minds of men and women. What it says in verse 1 is this. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, dead in the Greek is the word nekros. Nekros means in a spiritual sense to be in alienation to God. It means to be so morally and spiritually bankrupt as to be in effect Dead. You see, this is not just an analogy. This is real. This is truth. And the truth that it explains here in chapter 2, verse 1, is that we're all dead in our sins. You see, if you look at eternity as a long, long string of rope, right? And this life that we live, this present physical life we live, is just this little blip on that line During that time, without Christ, that whole time, this reality that feels like life is spiritual death without Christ. The deception of the enemy's world system is that it feels like life. It feels like we have joy, right? Laughter. We have family. We have things. We... We experience the pleasures of this world. But according to God's description, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says a similar truth. It says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This word dead, nekros, in the Greek is also used in Luke chapter 15. You know, when we take a look at the story of the prodigal son, what we call the prodigal son, or the lost son, In chapter 15, that word is used to describe him as, and I won't go through the whole, for the sake of time, go through this whole teaching. But as the son comes back, verse 20, it says, and he, the father arose, or sorry, the son arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You see, the description of that son was that he was dead. And it wasn't that he was physically dead like we think to see in this reality, but he was dead in his trespasses and his sins. In Luke chapter 15, again later on, as the older son, who was a little miffed that this younger son was accepted so readily back into the family, the father said to him at the end of this chapter in verse 31 and 32, He says, and he, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You see, without Christ and without the grace won by Jesus Christ at the cross, we are dead. We may not experience that now, here and now, But that is the reality, that is the truth. To be made alive in the Greek, where it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In the Greek, it's the word, I don't know if I can pronounce this right, you guys. It's sizopoyo, which means to make alive with another, to make a share in the quickening of another. That definition rings a little bit truer when you go down into verse five, where it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And I like that word quickening. The King James, the original King James, says, And you he hath, or you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, there's so many analogies and on, the, on the, the tail end of this prayer that Paul prays over the church of Ephesus at the end of chapter one, he talks about the exceeding power in us who believe. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's that same power, you guys, that we're talking about here in chapter two, verse one. It's that same power And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You guys remember Ezekiel chapter 37? Ezekiel chapter 37 is where the Lord took the dry bones and made them alive. So listen to this for a second. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit. This is Ezekiel speaking. Out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. You see, Paul begins right away in this chapter to lay down the hard truth that due to our inherited sin nature and due to our own sin choices, we are spiritually dead, enemies of the cross, aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, we all were dead and are dead, and we are justly due the entirety of the wrath of God. Without the initiating work of the Holy Spirit of God, we're lost to that eternal wrath. So let's take a look at the picture of what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Where did He make us alive from? Who are we without Christ? Well, it says in verse 2 this. It says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, being dead and not quickened or made alive in Christ means just that, that we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know, back in 1 John chapter 3, at the very end of that teaching, the very end of that that chapter, and going into chapter 4 of 1 John, there's a truth that's reflected that we get an opportunity to see here in this verse 2. Reading that set of that set of verses it says now he who keeps his commands abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God and this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You know, in, the, in verse 6 at the end of that section, it calls the two the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now what we gather by this in verse 2 is this. There are only two influencing, influential powers in this world. There either is the power of the Holy Spirit of God in Christ or there's the power of the Antichrist. And as we are walking dead in our trespasses and sins, I can say from experience that we are not um, following some dominating human spirit that's within because that's a fallacy. We are under the influence of the enemy. We are under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. And we're now called sons of disobedience. I say this because you guys, this is the truth of the experience we walk into as we understand grace. This is who we were. We were, we were dead and were under the influence during, during this little short time that feels like life under the influence of the enemy. And there's no neutrality in the power of the spirits that lie over us. Verse 3 says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath just as the others you know we're dead in our trespasses and sins and what that means is that we're under the bondage of anything that tickles our flesh or our human mind It says that we fulfill the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind. That is our nature. That is our nature without this grace of Christ. And you know, it talks about us being um, children of wrath. Well, understand that there's only two kinds of children also, according to the word of God. There's the children of wrath and there's the adopted sons and children of God. That's one of the treasures that we've been given in chapter one, is that adoption to sons, that being made a child of God. And we are under the bondage of the desires of our flesh. And no matter how society excuses that, the Bible continues to call it in bondage to our sin. The description of being dead in trespasses and sins is also a couple of chapters over as we look at chapter 4, verse 17. It says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You know, as we take a look at who we are without Christ, And we look at this picture of being dead in our trespasses and sins. My mind goes to a couple of different analogies. As we think of the dead in this physical world, in this physical life, we can picture the dead in the carnage of a car accident, for example. We can picture the dead on the battlefield where you see in physical reality the effects of what we're talking about here in sin and death upon that dead body, right? And then you've got this flip side in the analogy of what it looks like or means like to be dead in that, you know, I've had friends and loved ones who have passed away. And you go to the funeral and you see in this open casket, you see your loved one laying there in this open casket, who's dressed up, made up, an expression of peace on their face. But even though one shows more of the evidence of being dead than the other, don't be deceived. Dead is dead. Dead is dead no matter what it looks like. And I want you to just keep that in mind because honestly, that was me, you guys. That was me. As I was walking through this life on this earth, up until the age of 46 years old, I was one of the dressed up, made up dead. My fear, you guys, as we walk through this wonderful gift of transformation, listed here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, is that there's some here that were like me. You know, the analogies of Christ, raising the dead to life, not the analogies, but the truth, the stories. Christ in John chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead, And that picture um, of Martha telling Christ, saying, listen, by this time he's been dead for four days. There's a stench. He's dead. And he calls him out to life, right? Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 7, is the story of, the deceased son of the widow of Nain. And there's a wailing and crying and these people are carrying out an open casket with this young man that's dead. And Christ sees this and he comes up and he touches, touches the, the casket. And he causes the young man to live. He says, young man, I, young man, I say to you, arise. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. When you see the story of Christ um, as as he's approached by this this ruler, this rich ruler, who's saying, look, my daughter is dying. I need you. I need you to come and save my daughter. As he's on his way there, he gets interrupted and they say, you know what, your daughter is dead. He goes, never mind that. You know, I'm, I'm going in. And he went in with... James and John and Peter and he grabs the dead girl by the hand and he says, Talitha Kumai he says, young girl, I say to you, arise Christ has the power by his grace to make those who are dead alive You know, like I was saying, um, this picture, you guys, of the dead coming to life, that's the experience of us as we enter and walk into by grace through faith and trusting Jesus as Lord. You see, it sickens me to recount who I was prior to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Because I was that description in verse 2 and 3. I was that one who was under the influence of the enemy. I was that one that fulfilled all my fleshly desires and all my, um, the desires of my mind. But since I was dead spiritually... I had no way to see the truth. I was blinded as to who I was. Remember, I was dead. Dead. I was truly by nature a child of wrath. I did everything that I could do to be successful in this world system, successful maybe as what the world says and sees be it in what the world would see of my marriage or what the world would see of my athletics or what the world would see in my business it says in which you once walked according to the course of this world and that was me and see in all of my deadness I went to church somewhat regularly I took communion with the rest of you I said the right things and I dressed the part but according to this verse I was dead now and will be and then the time came verse 1 says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I was made alive. It says in verse 4 and 5, it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, God initiated This work of salvation upon a dead, spiritually dead man. Dead in my trespasses and dead in my sins. Not only could I not see Christ, I couldn't see who I was. That's the deception of this world system. You see, it wasn't I who sought him. It was he who sought me. You see, in John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is God who made us alive. We have been quickened from above. He is the one who created us when we were conceived and then born. He is the one that quickens us to be born again. He calls the spiritual dead to life. Only he can give it. No man can make himself to live. Jesus can make us alive. No parent, however prayerful, no teacher, however tearful, can bring a child and make a child live unto God. The work of salvation is of God and God alone. And you see, I was met one day driving home from church. The Lord had been working on my heart for about a year at this time. This is almost 10 years ago. And I'm driving home, and the Lord's speaking to me, and he says, Blaine, why have you never surrendered your life unto me? Why have you not trusted me? And it hurt it hurt. He knew that I was just playing the part. And you know, what kept ringing in my ear, you guys, is this. The Lord says at the end of Mark chapter 8 He says, He who keeps his life in this world will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it for eternal life. He's blaming. why haven't you trust me? Why haven't you trusted me? Why haven't you not given your life to me? And I went into a room, coming home with my wife and my daughter. I went into a room and I locked the door and I hit my knees and I'm crying, you guys. And I just said, Lord, I've got to have you. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to do but I do trust you Lord I want you I've got to have you I don't care what it costs I give you unconditional absolute ownership of everything I am or ever will be Lord just come take me And you guys, I begin to understand what Paul said in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. As He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And a whole new world opened up for me. You guys, I was dead. And Christ made me alive. He made true in me what he promised back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, as he says Then I will sprinkle water on you, clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take a heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. A whole new life, you guys, was opened to me. The God who opened his mouth and created the universe and all the planets therein. And every living creature created them with a word, put his very spirit down deep into me, and it rocked my world. You can't be the same after that. That's why in Ephesians 2 verse 1 it says, you he made alive who were dead. There's a difference. And I started to realize a lot of new things going on in my life. First of all, This new life came with it a heightened sense of pain. What was easy, what was easy and maybe comfortable for me to walk in in sin, hurt. It hurt. It was real. I was hurting the very God who came, born unto a virgin, fully God, fully man who lived a sinless life and offered himself up on the cross for me everything was surprising me sin appeared as sin christ appeared so glorious everything was new in second corinthians Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light was turned on in me. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And with this life of surprises and pain came many many questions you guys I was a newly born again individual I didn't know what it was like to live to truly spiritually live neither do we if we haven't been met by the grace of Jesus Christ so I had questions and you see when you're born into the kingdom of God everything has to be learned I'm sure back then That was at Calvary Chapel here, you guys, nine years ago. We had um, a different pastor before, Rory. And I'm sure you guys, I drove him absolutely buggy. You guys, I had to know. I had to know. I had questions. I would hang around, make my wife hang around with me until everybody was gone so I could corner him and say, look, I don't get this, I don't get that. I need to know this, I need to hear that. With this new life, I begin to make a great many new attempts at things that I never thought I'd even want to do. And all in the spirit of the power of the Holy Spirit within me as I'm trying to obey this newfound spirit within me. In this of making uh, many attempts, I also made many mistakes. I stumbled... And I fell. But I begin to make make attempts. I begin, you guys, to have victory over sin. Sometimes it was the little things. Sometimes it was just my language. It was awful. Sometimes it was just the victory of being able to control my thoughts of the Holy Spirit of God. Just saying, you know, wipe that out of your mind. And he would do it when I came to him in desperation and prayer and said, I can't do it. I began to pray. Never had prayed before. Now that's something we take for granted in this church. We've got a lot of little kids that pray wonderfully at the age of, I don't know, five. I was 46. I never prayed before, ever. I didn't even know what it was like. You guys, i got to tell you this story. I think we're doing okay time-wise. So I get asked to go out to lunch by the pastor at that time. We go out, we talk, we get our our lunch in front of us. He says, Blaine, you want to pray? Sure, yes. I bowed my head and nothing came out. Nothing. And we're silent for, I don't know, an uncomfortable amount of time. (laughs) And he says, Blaine, you are going to pray or what? He goes, never mind, I'll do it. And you guys, I was shocked with the understanding that I I had no ability to do this. This was all new to the born-again believer. I began to share my faith with others. I couldn't hold it in. People had to know. There was something crazy different in me. I began to tell my testimony to others. I begin to have opportunities to share and speak before the body. It was the beginning of a new life, a new spiritual life. I never felt anything like this before. Like I said, really, truly, you guys, my world was rocked. This is the transformation of the heart of man. And we can't do that on our own. This is the gift of grace, not of works lest anyone should boast. Because remember I was dead, I had no ability to seek him. I was showered with the blessing of his grace. And this change that had happened in me had happened and it was permanent. And back then at the little paint store that we operated here in town, I was working with my wife and my son who was about 22, 23 years of old of of age, was working with us. And my family saw that I wasn't the same guy anymore. You can't hide something like that when God puts his spirit in you. My wife, I'm sure, is going, what happened to my husband? We've been married at that time, you guys, 25 years. I remember my son, you guys, at the store during the day, coming up to his mom, Linda, who's back in children's ministry now. And I remember him just putting his arm around my wife and saying, Don't worry, mom. Dad's just going through a phase. It'll wear off. And you guys, tears just came to my eyes. I said, No. Son, this is real. I can't go back. I can't go back there anymore. I hate to say this, but this is your new dad a power that's greater than me who's got a hold of my life and who changed me from the inside out and I've seen it in the hearts of some of you guys out here I've seen the Lord change you I've seen his power in you and it's real I was now able to feel and perceive God's very presence I was not only cognizant of God, but I became sensitive to his frown, sensitive to his smile, sensitive to his promises or sensitive to his threats. I could feel him. I could be in awe of him. I now lived in him and his spirit lived in me. I had new abilities that have been opened, and that's ability to worship I became sensitive and sympathetic with this same life in the life of others. The same living Spirit of God in me was the same Spirit of God in others. It was the commonality of the unity of the Holy Spirit of God. What the Lord desires, we desire. His glory takes preeminence in our lives and we desire to shake off the old nature and be holy as he is holy. This new life brought with it a capability to enjoy great pleasure, to be able to just bask in the bliss of drawing near to God, being able to enjoy the light of his countenance, being showered with his loving kindnesses. And all of that is available only to those that have felt and experienced this gift of grace my conscience became sensitive. Even the very shadow of sin falling across me hurt. It became intolerable. This new life makes us able to rise to the highest heights in the pleasure of God's presence. And it makes us drop to the deepest depths of the knowledge of our own sin but he who has this divine life within has the ability to walk as Enoch walked to walk with God you see 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him but God has revealed them to us by his spirit when he's given us new life right This new life puts new life into everything we do. Our prayer life becomes living. Shortly after, you guys, when I told you I had no way to pray, right? It's on a Wednesday night and I'm sitting, it was at the other church before we moved in here, and I'm, I'm sitting out there and the pastor says, "Well, is there any prayer requests? And there's people's hands raised up that have needs and going through trials and tribulations and and they say what their needs are, and he points to somebody and says, hey, look, would you pray for this, this gal? And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and it happened a couple of times, and this gal behind me raises her hand, and she says something. I don't even remember what it was that she was going through. And, and he looked at me, and he says, Blaine, would you pray for her? And you guys, I just had to pray first. Lord, save me. Lord, you've got to do it because I don't got it. And I began to open my mouth and the most beautiful prayer by and through the Holy Spirit of God spoke through this unworthy vessel. And I heard it from my own ears as if it wasn't from me, right? I'm going, God, this is awesome. I trust you. It's not me and my abilities. It's not my... Um, capabilities. It's you and your faithfulness and your strength in me by grace. The new born again individual abides with Christ, communes with Christ. His prayers are living and real and every part of worship is real. Being raised from the dead we cannot live the way we used to we cannot associate with some of the people we used to we've been quickened by the holy spirit of god and we cannot go back to live in the graveyard with them first corinthians actually second corinthians sorry second corinthians chapter 6 Verse 17, the Lord says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We are made to be one with Christ. The very spirit of God has been put deep within us and we become partakers of the divine nature. Christ said, the water that I shall give him will become in him like a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Do you get that? It's life. Our life is now the life of Christ in us. He says, because I live, you will live also. Man, as believers, you guys, let's rejoice in this. Let's believe in this. Let's walk in triumph in this. Verse 6 says in our text, back to chapter 2, That he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, it's a blessed experience to walk on this earth and be able to look up to heaven with longing eyes. But how much more blessed is it that we might be seated in heaven with Christ... And to have such an eternal perspective that we can look down at this little blip called our physical life here on earth from eternity. It says we've been raised up together and made us sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. Colossians chapter 3 says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated, is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Verse 7, and this is probably as far as I can get. It says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Our position is being seated with Christ in heaven. God is working through us, through his, delight, his divine life planted within us. But for what purpose? We get a little glimpse of that in verse 7 as it says that in the ages to come, he might show. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, the purpose for this grace showered upon us, free, unmerited, undeserved favor poured upon unworthy human beings, dead in our trespasses and sins, is that we would become the most wonderful reflectors of his grace in this world ever created. You see, that's the new life. When God made the world and everything in it, the angels came from afar to see his handiwork. But when Christ takes those who were dead in trespasses and sins and make that makes that which was dead to be alive with him. To reflect the glorious love and compassion, the mercy and holiness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the spiritually dead in this world, reflecting his fantastic glory in the hearts and lives lived out of the newly transformed, transformed man and woman. Think of what the angels say and think. They have never seen anything like this before. Now they shout for joy, and they praise the living God. Because the victory won at the cross has been showered upon us as grace. What an amazing miracle of God that he would take a dead sinner born again to show the world through him the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the purpose for grace. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, "Oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out." So let us who let us who have been made alive with Christ from the dead let us walk worthy of this glorious gift of grace let us hold the banner high that says that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come and as we close and worship team you can come on together come on up as we describe this glorious, wondrous grace that we experience as followers of Christ, I have this fear that is burning within me. As we stand up here, as I stand up here and I preach of this, wondrous glory of the transformation of man. I know that there's here, some here this morning with us that have never experienced that. And whether you're just visiting and you've never ever experienced what it means to be transformed and made alive again in Christ. Whether you've just, you know, come off the streets and the wounds and the carnage of sin and death covers you, or whether you've been sitting in here amongst us for months, maybe even years, and you've never experienced a heart transformation of the glory of the grace of Jesus poured upon you, changing your life, then I pray that you would if you've never walked into this life transforming power called grace, if you're a stranger to this divine life, which takes the dead and transforms them to the newness of life in Jesus Christ, if you're a stranger to this divine life, how long will you remain so? If there is a spiritual death and you are dead, please be afraid. For within a little while, the Lord will say, as Abraham said in Genesis chapter 23, bury the dead out of my sight. What will happen when Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, the place of the dead is the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. And unless we're made alive unto him by and through Christ and his blood shed at the cross, then he cannot be your God here or in the hereafter. So I just pray. And let's pray for a second. Lord, what a wondrous, wondrous gift, this gift of grace. What an amazing, amazing victory that you won at the cross as you took your perfect, sinless life and took our place in our stead to take upon yourself The wrath of God poured out upon all sin. And you did that for us, Lord. That if we would just trust and believe in you, if we would just lay down our own life to accept yours, that you would meet us with a newness of life, a gift of grace. That is beyond all the explanation and all the words that I can stand from here, Lord, and speak forth to your people, your servants, your church. I just pray that if there's anyone here that has not felt that, has not walked in it, or maybe has forgotten it, Lord, that by your grace and in the power of your spirit you would touch the hearts of those individuals who to know what it's like to walk with God. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that you would open up their hearts and open up their mouth, that they would confess that to somebody, that they would come forth and talk to me, that they would get a hold of one of us as elders, Lord, that we would pray over them, that we would cry with them, that we would rejoice with them. for the multitude of angels cry out in rejoicing when one sinner repents. Jesus, move in this place. Jesus, move in the hearts of your servants. Jesus, commission us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ to be the proper reflection of your grace to this world let us take this gift of grace and the knowledge thereof into this community across the state across this country and across the world that people may know your great and wondrous glorious grace in Jesus name we love you we need you be highly exalted in this place Amen.